Alrighty. Okay. So this is going to be one of my favorite people. Because, I hope so. <laughs> yes. Her name is Catherine Seaton. Yeah. And she is obviously Mother Seaton's daughter. So why are we doing her? Like, we're so we're doing her. I think to your point, like we've we've talked about Catherine Seaton a lot because we had programs here at the Shrine having to do with Catherine, and so you and I did a lot of reading, a lot of her writings when she was older, like mm-hmm. much older, 60s, 70s. Well, it turned out um, that there was. Um, boxes here from an early research um sister gallagher has started an extensive research project on Catherine seaton and so for a period of time there was all her research notes were here and this is when we were starting our living history program Catherine comes home right so we were trying to develop her character understand the time period that we could best interpret to get our living history program started. Now, this was a couple Mm. years ago. And so we had sat through the boxes and boxes and boxes of notes that Sister had gathered and comprised in, I guess, hope to write a book about her or something. Yeah. Um, so we, like, kind of quickly had to go through that before the boxes were sent to the, back to New York <laughs> yeah, because, the yeah. Mercy. Yeah, that was kind of an oops moment that the boxes weren't supposed to be here. So, again, mm-hmm. we kind of rushed through them, I think. And we, I think it's with any kind of research, you kind of rush through and you get what you think is the person, the essence of the person, which to some degree it was. Mm-hmm. But I think now after two years of having people play her and one reading on her, um, she was definitely different than I think her s- other sisters. Okay. Um, so what exactly is the hook? We're making Catherine a follower. So for me, I mean, honestly, it was just, let's get all the kids done. Let's figure out their relationship with their mother. But it really came to when at the very end of her life, when she was asked why she became a mercy, why she became a sister of mercy, which kind of, kind of returned back to her mother Mm -hmm. and so I thought well there it is I mean that's that is the hook with her Um, because people always ask us well why didn't she you know go into her mother's order and and we've speculated that maybe she didn't want to because it was her mother's order maybe she wanted to be in New York and so to find out why she really wanted to be a sister of mercy I think was enlightening and and really brought it back to she felt like this is what her mother wanted her to do even though her mother was not living at the time right right because she enters into the sisters of mercy at the age of 46 right which you always spin it as a very interesting time for her to enter in that order because that was the same age that her mother had died right so it's like where how does is it, is it providential of how things shake out well i think it's a good lesson so when i do a lot of the school groups here i bring that up well even older people i've even mentioned it too because of having life experiences for mother seaton to die at 46 and pretty much how every role that a woman could possibly hold. I can't think of anything that she didn't experience as far as marriage and a widow and a mother and a sister, daughter, business owner, running a school. And so, um, and she does all of this and dies at 46. Mm -hmm. Catherine had pretty much done nothing (laughs) up until the age of 46. I mean, she did, she worked on herself. Like she had those skills that she learned, which I think was providential, learning all these different languages and having these experiences all over the world, really. Um, 
does help her when she becomes a Sister of Mercy, but she doesn't take her final vows for that until she's 46. So she's just starting her life. So I think it's a lesson for all of us that it's really never too late to figure out what God is calling you to do, what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. That can happen at any moment in your life. Yeah, and in a way, Mother Seton did kind of treat Catherine a little differently Mm -hmm. than the other children. Yeah. Um, It seems like she took opportunity to have Catherine experience the world beyond Emmitsburg. Now, I know, like, on my tour, I've always said that, well, it's kind of ironic because Catherine lived the longest, but yet she was considered the frailest of all the five children. And so she was intentional, Mother Seton was intentional of sending her back to New York because she was always afraid of Catherine being sick. And then after her daughters, other two daughters died, Anna Maria and Rebecca, around the age, uh, year of 1818, she really wants Catherine to experience life beyond the community, beyond Emmitsburg, and she sends her away, even though Catherine doesn't really want to at the time. Yeah, I mean, so she had, yes, all of that is correct. Like, Catherine was passionate, and we find that out through those letters when she's much older, but she was much quieter about that than Rebecca and Anna Maria. And they both pretty much were like, we want to become religious, we want to become sisters. Catherine didn't really put that out there. And she was um, very smart. I mean, her mother is impressed with how smart she is. And you're right, she's trying to, to get her to leave. It was around 1816, actually, that she okay. that she gets her to leave the first time to go stay with some of these families that she respects in Baltimore and Philadelphia. And um, Catherine's hesitant to go at first. But then she enjoys it. I mean, she's having a good time. And she's not doing anything inappropriate, but she is enjoying herself, going to balls and and really getting that education in society. And so Elizabeth is kind of not sure how she feels about that, I think. Um, but well, there's that little red book. The little red book, um, which is a book that Elizabeth wrote for Catherine on advice. And this is an interesting little red book. <laughs> um, <laughs> I read I mean, a couple of pages of it, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she gives her advice on, on marriage. She gives her advice on all kinds of things. things that like Elizabeth, even the opera. Yeah, things that Elizabeth experienced, the theater, dancing. And she's cautioning her that these things could lead to inappropriate behavior. So it is interesting, but I mean, I guess it's the same thing we do with our own kids that you experience things in your life. And so you try to tell them not to do them because you had such an experience. And so I think she's, she wants to make sure that she's okay. I mean, she basically says about marriage, unless you find the right guy, don't do it. Like Mm -hmm. it's just not worth it. And so she's giving her this very straightforward advice. Mm She's also hoping that, you know, she doesn't think that she's going to choose religious life. So she's hoping that maybe she can make a good match for her. And she thinks of um, Charles Harper, who was Charles Carroll's grandson. Um, And maybe that could kind of work out because she really likes the Harper family. And so she, you know, she's hoping that something will happen before she passes away. However, there is that interesting thing that happens in 1818 when Elizabeth is starting to feel sick. Yeah. She calls Catherine home. home. Now, she tells other people that it's for a variety of reasons. She even tells, um, I think her sister Mary, I think is the one she told, that she's like, oh, Catherine's homesick, which she wasn't, but she, she wants her home um, because she's starting to feel ill. Mm-hmm. And not because she wants her there because she's feeling ill, but because she's afraid if she dies... Catherine would have worn out her welcome 
at all these people's homes, and they won't want to take care of her. So I missed that part. (laughs) Yeah, so, which is interesting. I mean, you know, because a young married girl at that time, Mm -hmm. no parents, you become the responsibility of your brothers Mm -hmm. or family and friends. And so she doesn't want her to wear out that welcome. She wants them to be happy to take care of her yeah um when she dies so she's 18 years old mm-hmm. in 1818 mm-hmm. and mother seaton had actually given her an appointment she employs her at the school she takes up as a teacher um, specifically mm-hmm. what vocal lessons right voice lessons right. right um music and then later she appoints her as her secretary right which i believe that she was her secretary all the way up until she dies. Well, she does allow her, um, encourages her to leave at points between 1818 and 1820 when she's feeling better. She doesn't go as far. Um, she does stay at Charles Carroll's oh. home. Um, that, what would you say, like 40 minutes from yeah, here for the people that don't live here. Um, and so it's not that far. It's still a day trip in that time, but it's not as far as New York. And so, and she does, and she enjoys it. She, um, the Harper family was very good to her. She's taking art lessons, she's taking music lessons, and she's really enjoying it. But she does come back here in the summer of 1820, and she's pretty much by her mother's side from that, that point on. And she's writing all her letters. She's writing basically goodbye letters to a lot of people. Um, and she's struggling, I think. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of reasonable for Catherine to struggle as her mother nears death. And we all know the story that, you know, she was um, sobbing uncontrollably Mm -hmm. that the sisters basically had to tell her to leave the room um, just days prior to her death. But I think it's because she's been sitting here for months now by her bedside, being her secretary, writing all these last things, that she was holding herself strong and then she just kind of met her breaking point right and um what's you know yeah and what's curious about that is now Catherine you know she's almost 21 what am I going to do with my life Mm -hmm. I'll stay here (laughs) and and Father Dubois and Father Brute basically convince her to leave they really feel that she can't just fall into place here and be a sister of charity just because she's afraid to be alone and she's afraid to be out in the world so they encourage her to leave, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I'm thinking back on our Brute podcast, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's interesting that Brute is encouraging Catherine not to join the order. Right. To go out and then, and I'm thinking the reason is for that is because he was trying to put her in a position where she can start listening to the will of God. Yeah. And without subtraction. Right. right. I mean, that's what I'm thinking about coming off the Brute podcast. Yeah, I mean, I actually have a quote for him. Um, he says, St. Joseph, it is true, would always be an asylum open to her, but she is at an age where such a retreat might appear to be a kind of prison. And until more experience would point out the blessing of such a peace, peaceful abode. So, I mean, I think he's basically saying... She's wow. very young. <laughs> yeah. She might she might come to resent it here. She might resent it as, as a prison, as he said, and that it, she really needs that experience to be able to look back. Did he think that it was going to take 25 years? I don't know. But, right. <laughs> you know, he probably thought it would take a few months, but, you know, she but doesn't. It, it, but it does take her years. It takes her I years. Mean, she ends up 
leaving Amherstburg. Right. She did a little heartbroken from what I was saying. She's very heartbroken. Trying um, to find, she ends up going under um, the care of her brother William. Right. Meets up with the family. Right. Does three tours yeah. to Europe, helping, kind of almost serving like a nanny in a way. But yeah, she's once he gets birth. married. She does a lot. I mean, she yeah. she's like her mother in that she's very smart and she's very intellectual. Mm-hmm. And she she spends time in Baltimore with the Harpers. And, of course, they try to make a good match for her. They kind of set her up with this ambassador, Stalker Channing, I think was his name. <laughs> and so I actually looked him up. He was a very handsome man. He had recently lost his wife and he had a small child and all oh. of that. But um, So they thought, perfect match here. Um she was not interested at all um and you know and then she goes to philadelphia she goes to new york and like you said she goes to europe three different times she learned six different languages um she's traveled to all these tiny towns she loved doing that she climbed the alps twice and so her brother settles down in florence Mm -hmm. he's now married and mm-hmm. he eventually has, you know, he has children. So she has nieces yeah. and nephew, and she helped take care of them. Um, you know, the the apple in her eye. Yeah, um, yeah. Her. But it's when she settles into Florence that it she really is unhappy. Yeah. Um, and she's forty two at this point. It's eighteen forty two, and so she leaves, and yeah. she comes. She comes back to New York. Um, she writes Julia Scott. I'll have to see if I can find it. Yeah, in a letter to Julia Scott, she confessed that the novelty of Europe was over for her, that her destiny seemed to be that of a wanderer who was always on the go, and that she was simply weary to death of it all. Yeah, so she's questioning her status quo right now. Right. She just trying, she basically tired of social life, and she really coming to the point where she's like what is my purpose here like i haven't really done anything meaningful right yeah she's she's worn out yeah and so she goes it's this happens very quickly like these few years um because she goes back to new york she's doing charitable works um father dubois is there who she's known since she was nine she's very close to him he's there as bishop she's doing charitable works basically for him she decides to come to Emmitsburg. She's mm-hmm. this first time that we know of that she's returned in 20 years. Yeah. And probably the last time, too. Yeah. We haven't really found any other evidence right. or writings indicating that she has ever visited Emmitsburg right. again after that. Which is so interesting. But she's very interesting. Um, but she, and she's very happy to be here. She's happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's sisters that are still here that were here that she grew up with. I think it was Sister Sally Thompson. There's sisters it that. It was a good reunion. Right. And, like, she didn't come in sadness. And there mm-hmm. wasn't, like, reopening of wounds. Because, you know, she, with her relationship to her mother, I would say they were best friends, you know. Yeah. Of all of them. Yeah. She often looked to what she called a white like, kit. Yeah. As, um, as her friend, as, yeah. her, as her close friend. Um, um, and and so she, le- she leaves here and she goes to Baltimore. She does a long retreat there. And I think she's really pondering what to do. Um, she's getting letters from her cousin, James Roosevelt Bailey, who's leaving the Episcopal faith to become a Catholic priest. So, Which is interesting because the little bit I was reading, she's actually imparting advice to him. Mm-hmm. So in a way, yeah. she kind of was serving as like a spiritual advisor, yeah. which I thought was pretty Yeah, he has ironic. a great story too, which we will get to one day. Okay, but, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, 
But then she goes back to New York and a lot happens. She loses Julia Scott, who immediately was her godmother and also became like her second mother after her own mother passed away. And she loses Father Dubois, who she's at his side when he dies. And she's basically like, there was never a better man. I've never known anyone so wonderful. And so she, unlike her mother, had this really close relationship with him, which I also find very interesting um, because I think she wasn't as outwardly passionate as her mother was I think she was a better fit for him that's just a guess <laughs> um, and so what's interesting is Archbishop Hughes is also there who was here in Emmonsburg when mm-hmm. she was a young girl so yeah, she knows him Mother Satan advocated for him to be admitted into the seminary at right. first they didn't want to admit him right and but like, she yeah. got the admission um, so that's an interesting story. Yeah, too. and then he becomes um, really her advocate. Like he really wants her in the mercies, and he's bringing them from Ireland. He wants her to be the first American to join the order. She can stay in New York. Her brother is moving back from Florence. It just seems like everything is finally well. There is the Sisters of Charity of Saint Joseph is also in New York, as well as the um, Carmelite Sisters. I don't or know if no. they were there then. There was another uh, uh, Ursuline. Ursuline's Ursuline. were in Canada. Yeah. Um, but she, there was a sister she was very close to that was part of the Ursulines. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, so you she kind of has, like, three paths in front right. of her. And it's like, right. what does she take? I think she, at that time, she, um, she liked... I think she thought her mother was leading her there, which I'll get to more in a second. But I think she liked the work that they did. She immediately starts prison ministry, mm-hmm. um, which she did in New York. And so I think prison ministry is such a great um, thing to do. I think it's a brave thing to do. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably even more so then. Um, and she's in New York City. So just well, to get... I just have a quick question for you, Lisa. Did you find anything? Now, I haven't really had a chance to read on when she entered the Sister of Mercy. Like, I just kind of did from when she left Emmersburg up until she enters into the order. Mm-hmm. But did you find anything in your research where she kind of makes note or speaks about maybe the will of God? Because, again, going back to what I said earlier mm-hmm. about Brute kind of maybe paving that way of, like, no, you really need to listen to the will of God mm-hmm. and not just settle into it. I think um, she... Yeah, I mean, I think she's she's praying a lot and she's thinking that. But if you want me to get to the part, which I think you want me to get to, okay, <laughs> as to her reason for joining the Sisters of Mercy, I found it in this great old book from like the 1890s. Um, and she said, it is a fitting place for me. For my mother often quoted a sentence from Job. From my childhood, mercy grew up with me. And then she goes on to say, I belong with you here in the mercies. So I was curious, and I searched for that whole quote just to see what the Mm -hmm. whole thing said. And it said, From my infancy, mercy grew up with me, and it came out with me from my mother's womb. So to me, it's like she's giving credit to her mother. This was something her mother would always say to her in particular, Uh that you have mercy within you. And But she goes on to do the whole thing of, and it came from, from, from my mother. You know, so that that charitable works, that giving, that wanting to help. Um, she said her mother would always say that to her, that you have that mercy within you. Uh-huh. Use it, basically. And she's giving that credit. Well, if I have it, it came from you. 
Wow. You know. So I just really, I love that. And she... So maybe it was more of, again, sorry, not to go back to Brute, but maybe <laughs> it was, no, no, you really need to listen. And you need to listen. And your mother, just listen. And in a way, your mother kind of, not paved the road, but it's there. Right. Based on your experiences. But the Sisters of St. Joseph, or the Sisters of Charity of St. Joseph, is not the right place for her. Right. And I think it, I think he, God, he always tries to tell us, right? He always tries to, I think sometimes he's like ready to hit us over the head with something. Because you do, when you look back, you see the things that were put in place. Mm-hmm. And you can see how things happened a certain way. And yeah, yeah and I think her, if that's what she remembered her mother saying to her, um, that was a sign. Like this yeah. is where you should be. And she was so unhappy with everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, she used her life. She kept learning and what was interesting about that what I wanted to get to was that so because she knew all those languages and mm-hmm. she knew German French Italian Spanish English Latin like she knew all these languages um, in the prison system just to give you an idea this was an article that was written about her it said that in New York City um, in 1874 okay. so she's 74 years old um, that there were 49,251 prisoners there were um only 10,671 were born in the United States. So the other 38,580 were born outside of the United States and could not speak English. But she could speak to them and she could relate to them. So they would wait for her. They would wait for her to come. So no surprise, she visited the prisons really up until the day before she died because they loved her. And her special ministry was sitting with patients that were on death row, not patients, prisoners that were on death row. Yeah. Wow, I did not she, know that. That's who she wanted to be with. And which I think, again, is a brave thing, you know, thinking yeah. selfishly of yourself, that would be mentally exhausting, I do remember I reading at one point um, very quickly that I think in the prison that she was working at, they tried to bring in the Sisters of Charity of St. Joseph. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And she basically said no. Yeah. And she made them leave. She uh, said they she, have no yeah. place here. She wrote the bishop and basically was like, get them out of here. I don't <laughs> want them here. And, and to her point, it was because we have a system. Mm-hmm. They know us. We know them. They trust us. And I don't really want anybody else's ideas or thoughts kind of messing with this. You know, we have yeah. it the way we want it. So even though there was enough prisoners to go around, unfortunately, um, she was like, you need to make them leave. But I think it's interesting, though, because she knows that it came from her mother's mm-hmm. own order. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I guess there's no real other explanation other than that they have really devoted their work their life to the work there and right. they have something going and it's working right so don't change it up don't disrupt it right and i think there was that trust like she had built this relationship with them i mean there's like that other story that one of the prisoners that had gotten out sent her a gift for her birthday mm-hmm. and it was like this large overcoat that had knives and rope and everything oh my God. <laughs> and she's like am i supposed to pass this on because i'm not doing that like <laughs> You know, so interesting. Yeah, but they loved her, and and I think she truly felt like this was her mother's sign that this is where she's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I think she, I imagine in my mind that she had not thought of that until Archbishop Hughes 
said, hey, I have this this idea. And then I think everything fell into place. Uh, you know. So Mother Seaton actually had a hand in all of it, too. I think so. Yeah. I think so because that advice that she had given her her whole life, that one thing that she looked at her in particular and said. But I wanted to read one last thing. Um, okay. So the night before she dies, um, you know, she's visited by the archbishop. Um, and he, when he's saying goodbye, he says to her nephew and niece, um, who the, the niece was a sister of mercy by this time, and the nephew is an archbishop mm-hmm. himself, um, he says, you know, that she she is going to have a perfect happy death, that she is perfectly in tune with the Lord. So they go in to see her, and she says, uh, darlings, which, side note, I love how they call each other that. Mother Seton uses it. The kids use it. Like, they... Oh, darling? Call, yeah. I love darling. <laughs> so she's saying this to her niece and nephew. Darling, she told them, I had the loveliest thing happen to me last night. There was no one in the room at all. And just then, and suddenly, I noticed a nun kneeling at the foot of my bed. I thought it must be one of our sisters come in while I had dropped asleep for a moment. But it was not one of our sisters. She wore a little black cap, but her face was hidden, and I could not see it at all. But it didn't surprise me to see her there somehow, or alarm me either. Her nephew and niece looked at her in awe, and Sister Mary Catherine had tears in her eyes. I knew I belonged to her, she went on, and that she loved me, even though there were no words or no sight of her face. After a while, she was suddenly gone, but darlings, we all know who it was. You see, she always took such care of me when I was sick, and this is the first real illness I've had since I was a little girl. So she's saying that her mother visited her the night before she died wow. to take care of her. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's just so beautiful. It's just yeah. so beautiful. And, I, you know, and then the day she died, the, her last words they said were, love the poor, do all you can for them, and love the works of mercy. So I, she was a perfect example of her mother. Mm-hmm. And yet her mother always worried about her three surviving children, would they do good in the world, you know, and yet they did exactly what she taught them to do. Yeah. They took care of other people. Yeah. I know, I kind of hope I can do that for my own daughter now. <laughs> I know, it's like, hard. It's, it's hard. Like everything we do and choices we make for them or impart Right. Yeah, and the brilliancy that we've said before of Mother Seton is that she was on it every minute. Yeah. Like, everything she did, yeah. you know, had a purpose, a good purpose for people. Yeah. So... Well, thank you for, like, bringing Catherine Seaton on. So we know that was quick, you know, like, she had such a long life. You know, she right. lived to the age of 91. Right. Um, and we still haven't gotten through all of the research that Sister Miriam Gallinger had done. Yeah. Um, but hopefully we will. Someday. But someday, <laughs> but this is, like, fantastic. Yeah, she's a great person. But, yeah. like you said, she learned after her mother. So, we have two more children to do at this point so they'll be coming at some point point. (laughs) they're all followers of her yeah Yeah. well thank you everybody for joining us again thank you 